listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. What's up, everyone? Chris Lopez here with Drinks and Deep Dives. So I'm going solo today. I uh, will be very frank. I forgot to schedule a guest for today's show. I actually have a topic that I'm really interested to talk about because I get this question quite frequently, which is, I have a paid-off rental property that cash flow is great. Should I keep it or should I sell it? What should I do? So that'll be the main deep dive we talk about today. And then, of course, we'll go through our factoids and a couple of questions that also come up uh, around that topic as well. So first thing is a quick update. We are in the process of starting to re or we are in the process of updating our ADU course, which is our accessory dwelling unit podcast series. We did this, I think, two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. It was a seven or nine part uh, podcast series. It was great. I learned a lot. We got lots of great feedback. But you know what? It's two, three years old now. A lot has changed in the ADU space. So we are in the process of outlining it, getting some great guests and contributors to come give their info, uh, come share their stories, share their expertise, and hopefully do a bunch of video walkthroughs of properties as well. So I have one favor to ask you is to fill out a two-question ADU survey form. So we want to know what questions you have, and we're also looking for people that have experience in the ADU space, whether you own an ADU, or you're a contractor, or you know zoning, or you're a city official, or whatever, we want to connect with you because ADUs are very fluid right now, and there's so many variables on there that we want to um, get that uh, information from you, connect with people. So I'm going to drop a link in the YouTube notes. Dan, can you post it up there? In the YouTube uh, comments and also in the show notes on here. If you can't find it, just email me or hit me up on Insta- uh, on social and we'll give, it, uh, we'll give you the link. So please fill it out. We're hoping to start recording it within the next 30 days is our goal. And we're going to make a updated and hopefully a better ADU series as well. So moving on to our factoid of the day. And I picked this one because as a lot of you guys know, I'm a very much keep it simple, stupid person. How can I boil things down to simplistic things? That's what I always like to do in business, in life, and investing. And years ago, as I was getting to real estate, I said, if I only had to pick one metric or one trend and make a decision on uh, off of investing off of that, what would it be? And this chart, this factoid is exactly that. And if we have a drum roll, it would be population growth. So I'll share my screen here. And so this is actually something that Instagram posted a couple days ago. And it's very interesting because, uh, I'm sorry, Instagram, LinkedIn posted this, where they actually took over the last 12 months, they looked at their users' profiles to see what city they were located in. And they looked at people that changed you know, from one city to another city. And they looked at the amount of people changed over there. And they gave a great chart to give an idea of the population growth over the last 12 months. So at the top of it, Austin, Texas, Sarasota, Florida, Nashville, Tennessee, Tampa Bay, Florida, Charlotte, then Denver. And all of these, they are in like the 60 to 130 range of new people per 10,000 residents. So if you want the details, check out the graph in the show notes or in the video. But the punchline here is that Denver 
along with these other markets that I routinely see in the headlines and in bigger pockets, forums, and all those areas, they are growing. And I like this because it shows the growth that Denver's having and also other markets. And I bring this up because I get this question a lot. Wow, prices have gone skyrocketing in Denver and other cities as well. Is it still a good time to invest? I think it is. And I mean, I'm buying a property right now. Uh, nothing is scaring me from buying a property for long-term wealth creation. But from a very simplistic standpoint, I think population growth is the most important metric to look at from like a very macro level. Because we can get all stuck in details and, you know, what's this, what's this, how many miles away from this and all this stuff, which is important. But again, I see a lot of people get the paralysis by analysis. Going back to keep it simple, stupid, I think population growth is the number one thing. There was a seminar I went to, I mean, gosh, probably 15 years ago. And it was, it was more of a personal development seminar. And one of my key takeaways from that seminar was it's very, it's very near impossible to be like stagnant or, you know, uh, still their metaphor is you're either sinking or you're swimming. And I think that's a great metaphor because a city or an area is either growing or shrinking. Like that's it. Very few places are saying they're not a flat graph line in population job growth. They're either going up or they're going down. And so if you look at population growth, I think that's the most important metric because people are moving to places for jobs, for lifestyle, for opportunity, whatever it is. And Denver, actually along with a lot of the front range right now, has all those things, job opportunities, lifestyle, relatively still affordable real estate compared to a lot of other markets around the United States. So Denver is still growing. Is it a good time to invest in real estate? Yes, I think it is if you have a long-term time horizon. And I always like to ask my listeners and viewers, what is the number one metric? If you had to pick the one metric you could look at with nothing else, what would it be to go out there and to invest? And I encourage everyone to actually think about that because boiling things down to keep it simple is very important. My answer is population growth. I'd be curious what your answer is as well. Just leave in the comments or shoot me an email. So moving on to the deep dive, this is something I'm really excited to talk about. And actually I'll share my spreadsheet here in a second. And it's, I have a paid off rental. Should I keep it or should I refinance it or should I sell it and trade up via 1031? Now the answer is my usual answer. It depends. I mean, it depends on the property, but most importantly, it depends on your goal. Like, what is your goal? Because if someone has a paid off property, you know, if they're 25 versus 52, they're in very, diff very different phases of their life, very different phases of their career and of their retirement timeline. So what is your goal? Like, that's the most important thing. Like, leave the property aside for a second, but what is your goal? Because, you know, if that cash flow you have on the property right now, in the overall picture, it meets all your needs. You can live off it. You're happy. Probably makes sense not to touch it. Just take the money every month, cash every month and be happy. But if you want to grow more wealth, more future income, then definitely makes sense to reposition the property, reposition the equity, do a refinance, do a HELOC or sell and 1031 and trade up. So we're going to dive into this. And this is actually a client that we're working with. I have, you know, taken out the personal details. I'm going to go to the spreadsheet now, and this is our return on equity spreadsheet that you've seen me use a lot of times in various podcasts and YouTube videos. So this is a single family rental in Longmont, Colorado. 
The client purchased this years ago for around $79,000, which I know is absurd in days, you know, prices, but that's how it was. And in 20 years, we're gonna say, wow, remember we could buy a place for $500,000? Same thing. So Bob, for $79,000, I wanna say like 20 years ago or maybe longer than that, uh, value today, very conservatively, is $450,000. There are comps that show goes up to like a $650,000 value because there's some, you know, a couple outlier sales nearby. So there's a big swing on there. So I'm gonna run it conservatively at 450 and we'll come back and kind of run at the other end of the spectrum to kind of give you guys options on what it can do and perform. Annual rent is about $19.25 a month. We have our standard operating assumptions in here. Vacancy at 5%, property taxes, insurance, 10% property management, 8% repairs and reserves. Now, what's interesting, when I actually ran this for a client, I, I have not done this in a long time, was that there is a zero loan balance. The property is paid off. And so therefore, it's a really good cash flowing property because your biggest expense is your mortgage balance. So we have that removed. So we're gonna look at the options on here as to if you were to reposition the equity in this property, was it due to the cash flow in the short term? And was it due to the long-term potential cash flow and the long-term wealth building mechanics of real estate, depreciation, uh, appreciation, and debt pay down? So I've got my normal assumption on here to run the options. We can do a cash out refi, assume about a 3.75% interest rate. And our assumptions for buying a new property I put in a 4.75% cap rate, which is, you know, realistic slash conservative. We're just getting stuff, you know, from the high fours to, you know, mid five for our cap rates. I always like to model conservatively and that way we're hopefully pleasantly surprised versus the other outcome. So those are the punchlines right there. I'm gonna go to the summary spreadsheet or the summary tab on the spreadsheet and actually go through a few models on here. Because right now from keeping it, what we want to look at are going to be three main things. It cash flows about $15,000 a year. So that's rent minus all expenses. And the investor is walking away with about $15,000 a year. So pretty good income. I mean, can you live off of that? No, but if you few of those properties, that's a good chunk of retirement right there. So $15,000 a month in current annual cash flow. It's a 6.4% return on equity. So we're assuming that it's gonna, its value is $450,000 and the total return we're getting is about $29,000 from the four ways to make money in real estate. The client's getting about 6.4% return on their equity. So when I hear that, like, again, right now in my phase of life where I'm still accumulating and acquiring properties, that doesn't excite me because I want a greater return than 6% on my money. I get 6% in the stock market with a lot less headaches and a lot less liability. However, fast forward a couple decades, and these are numbers I will be wanting. It's very similar to going from a higher like stock bond allocation to like a higher bond allocation. You're going from riskier to more conservative. And so 6.4% not good. It's not bad. It's just a number. And you have to put that number in a context of what, what your goals are. The other number I'll look at for this current property is the current cap rate. And it's currently at a 3.3% cap rate, which is conservative because we're using the lower end of the spectrum for what it could sell for. So from a pure like rental property and money optimization standpoint, it's not doing the greatest 
It's not giving a great return on money right now, nor it's a great rental property. So that's just more of a fact. So the other on the spectrum is how can we tap into that equity? Well, we can do a cash out refinance or we can sell and do a 1031. And I'm gonna keep it simple just because I know we got a lot of numbers here. I'm gonna look at comparing keeping it and selling it. Because I can tell you this property to do like a, a max cash out refi is not a great option on there. And that's just because it's a very low cap rate and not a great rental in today's numbers. So for sim simplicity, we're gonna focus on keep it and sell it just for simplistic modeling right now. So right now I'm making about 6.4% on the money or equity in the property. Now, if we sold it, the client will walk away with about $420,000. So good chunk of money right there. Now, since this is a rental, we do have to be aware of the tax implications of it. So if you sold it and did nothing, you'd be paying capital gains and depreciation recapture on here. Now, currently we can take advantage of a 1031 exchanges, which allows you to sell a rental property and buy more rental properties and not pay taxes during that transactions. It basically defers the taxes down the road. So sells it, do a 1031 exchange, walks with $420,000 or so. So for our assumptions, we put down a 25% down payment and a 4.7% cap rate. So again, a higher down payment and a conservative cap rate. And you can see the spreadsheet, it's got some uh, automated green highlights where it shows you the highest cash flow and the highest total returns. Now, what's interesting about this is it says the highest cash flow comes in from if you keep the property. You don't sell it, you don't refinance it because you're making about $15,000 a year in cash flow since it's paid off. However, the total return from appreciation and depreciation is about $29,000 a year. So the other green cell goes to the sell scenario for the total returns about $96,000 a year which is coming from the four ways to make money in real estate. So what's interesting here is if you buy, if you sell this, and let's just say you 1031 to a multifamily around that, you know, what, $1.6 million purchase price at a 25% down payment, you'll be making about nine to $10,000 a year in cash flow, which is less than the current $15,000 a year in cash flow. So I'm gonna talk about this for a second. You sell it, you buy a new property, you buy more units, more expensive property, and a better rental property, a higher cap rate property. Yet I'm making less cash flow. Well, that's because there's financing in there. I'm putting 25% down, and the bank's giving me 75% to go out and buy that new property. So that's why we're seeing a lower cash flow return on the sell it versus keeping it. So does that mean I should not sell it because I make less cash flow? Not necessarily. Again, it depends on your goals. If you're in retirement right now and this cash flow meets your needs and you're happy with it, then pro I'd probably recommend keeping the property. However, if you want more overall greater return and higher future cash flow, then sell it and do a 1031 trade up in there. Because if you really want to compare apples to apples, what we're looking at from the cash flow from the property as is at that $15,000. That's $15,000 in NOI or $15,000 in net operating income, which is your rent minus all your operating expenses is your NOI before your mortgage uh, mortgage expenses. And your mortgage expenses is almost always the biggest expense item you have in a property. Now the NOI on this property, 
on the, I'm sorry, if you sold it and bought a new property, and then one of those properties, $80,000 a year. So fast forward to when this property is paid off, now you're making $80,000 a year. So is $80,000 greater than $15,000? Yes, it is. But do I get that $80,000 annual returns today? No, I don't. So how long will it take me to get to that NOI? Well, basically once the property is paid off. Now, if I put this on 30 year term and just pay it off, it'll take me 30 years to get there. We have our clients though, they buy a property and they say, I wanna retire in you know 13 to 15 years. So they start making additional principal payments so the property's paid off in about 13 to 15 years. So this way we can start matching up, paying off properties to get a greater cash flow around the time you need it. Because in real estate, you always will get the greatest return by leveraging up versus just a paid off property. I shouldn't say always, the vast majority of the time you always get the greatest return by leveraging up. And so that's the key principle here. So what's the client's goals? What's the client's timelines? That's gonna dictate what's the best use of this equity on this property. So they may say, you know what? I want some cash flow today, you know, for my existing needs or am I already being retirement now? Well, going from $15,000 to $9,000 a year, yeah, that's what, $500 less a month in cash flow. Probably won't make or break anyone, but $500 a month is $500 a month. Might say, you know what? Like, that's good for right now where I'm at in my life, but as I, you know, get older and further in retirement, I want to have more returns, more cash in the future. And so we got some clients, you know what? I got some properties paid off, but I'm gonna leverage some other properties well, so I have greater cash flow in the future. So perhaps you buy this property, or I'm sorry, you sell the property, you buy the new property, and you plan on paying off the loan. So in 19 years, or whatever your timeline is, the property is paid off to match a greater, a greater future cash flow. So hopefully that's making sense on here because this is a, it took me a long time to wrap my head around this, is how do you evaluate properties? Well, it really depends on the property and also what your goals are. Because if I have this property right now in my life, I'm 39 and I want to acquire more properties for greater returns and greater future cash flow, I would sell in 1031 in a blink of an eye. However, if I'm 59, if I'm 20 years older, I'm in a different phase of life. You know, my 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 daughters are in college. Um, you know, we're you know entering a different phase of our life. I might want more cash flow and less leverage, so I might just keep it as paid off. Um, or it might be a combination of both. I could see myself in the future having a handful of paid off properties and a handful of properties that are leveraged to bring in future cash flow and greater returns my money as well. So I know this is a very complex topic, but hopefully give you some great takeaways as to you have to look at the, the cash flow of the day, but also align it with what your goals are because our goals here at Envision Advisors is to help you create long-term wealth in real estate investing. We're not worried about someone's short-term wealth, but it's really that long-term wealth creation. So if you have questions on here or your own properties or portfolio, reach out to us. This is something that I love doing, our team loves doing. We'll review your portfolio, review your properties, help you kind of come up with, hey, here's some facts. Now, what are your goals? Now, let's put some context to the two and see where they overlap. So if you have questions on here, you want to do it yourself, reach out. We love doing this stuff. Do you have any questions or comments? No, oh. <laughs> Sarah, I got. What am I drinking? Nothing exciting. I'm drinking Diet Sprite and a little bit of vodka today. So I had uh, COVID uh, four months ago. My taste buds are not what they used to be. So I drink very bland stuff right now, is what my goal is. So I feel a little embarrassed sharing that since I'm drinking solo today, but. (laughs)
we got to go with the theme of the show. Drinks and deep dives. So right now, vodka and diet sprite. But some questions I get along with these scenarios of what I do with these properties, I'm going to go through a couple of common ones I get in this specific scenario on file clients right now. And it's a big one right now is should I sell and do a 1031 exchange since there's proposed changes in the 1031 uh, tax code? And so, you know, the new administration under Biden, they one of their agenda items or proposals is to make some changes to 1031 exchanges. And I'm not an expert on there. You know, I've read the headlines, a few articles on there. I'm not talking about getting rid of it. They're just talking about adjusting it. So from the latest article I've read, the proposal, the proposed change would be to limit capital gains from investment property to $500,000 per year or a million dollars per year for married couples. So obviously like $500,000, a million dollars, depending on you know, where you are in your investing career, it may be a lot of money. It may not be a whole lot, you know, it may not be much money. If you're an institutional investor, this is going to change things a lot for you. If you're more of a mom and pop landlord, like I am, of our clients are, you know, these are numbers that we can still live in or live within for a lot of the properties that we're exchanging. So, you know, you want to keep that in mind is should you sell in 1031 based on the proposed timelines? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I ask myself this question. I get clients asking this all the time as well. Well, all of it depends on what's your capital gains. If you're below those thresholds, I wouldn't sweat about it or worry about it too much. If you're above, the th above those thresholds, you might want to consider it. Will they get rid of 1031s completely? I seriously doubt they will. I think there's too many people on both sides of the aisle that you know have um, connections to real estate and you know um, people that contribute money and constituents that want to do real estate. I don't see them getting rid of 1031 exchanges. But if these levels right now impact what you are doing, you may want to. Or if you're losing sleep over it or you're stressed about it, yeah, do a 1031. Now, the proposed tax changes aside, from a market timeline, I think it makes a lot of sense because you can sell your property and get top dollar for it. You'll sell it, get multiple offers, come back and be able to take, take more equity and go out there and buy another property. Now, the flip side of the coin is the other prop you're buying is going to be on the higher end of the price range as well because all prices are rising right now. And in 1031s, you usually get a little less picky right now because you're not worried too, you're not too worried about a couple bucks here. We're about a hundred thousand dollar bill to Uncle Sam. So yes, it still makes sense because you can still sell your property for top dollar, and yes, you'll be buying a, a an ex replacement property at you know a higher market rate as well. But two things: you're gonna be using leverage. You'll be getting a, locking a very low long-term interest rate. I mean, we're but getting four plexes under contract right now and closing in like the high threes to low four range. So 4% interest rate over 30 years, that's cheap long-term debt. It's a hedge against inflation. So a lot of investors right now, they're taking the opportunity to sell a condo, sell a home, sell a small multi, trade up, buy a bigger property that's a better performing rental also known as a higher cap rate property, and they're locking in long-term debt. So from a market perspective, it makes sense to do that. Now, again, I'm more focused on the market perspective versus what may happen with the, the change in the 1031 rules, because I'm not worried about these limits for myself right now, and I don't have any properties that make sense to 1031 right now in my portfolio. But if you do, take those facts in consideration 
and make the right decision for you. If you've got questions on this, reach out to me. I'm happy to chat about it, run some scenarios, obviously. The last question I want to answer here is, should I do a regular or reverse 1031 exchange? So a regular 1031 exchange is what we are mostly talking about referring to when we say 1031 exchange. I sell my property. It closes on July 1st. I have until, you know, I have 45 days, basically August 15th, to identify my replacement property to fall within the guidelines of 1031 exchange. So 45 days, it can feel long and it can feel short. 1031s, they're stressful. Um, so, but you have to have basically that property under contract and past your initial due diligence. Because you have a property under contract and then you terminate for inspection reasons on day 52, unless you have another property identified that you can go under contract on, you're out of luck and you're gonna be paying your capital gains to Uncle Sam. So 45 days is short in that standpoint, but still doable. So a lot of people are like, hey, I can sell my property quickly, but I know when I go to buy on the buy side, you know, I'm gonna be competing against other people. Can I complete it um, in that 45 day window? So more people are looking into and starting to do reverse 1031 exchanges. And that's where you go out there and you buy your replacement property first, then you sell your relinquished property. So in this case, this client will go out there and buy their multifamily and then sell this property in Longmont. So there's some nuances on there. Um, one is you have a higher fee to your 1031 qualified intermediary. A regular is usually about a thousand bucks or reverse is like $5,000. So $4,000 in a transaction this size is, is peanuts, but it changes your timeline. You still have the basic timeline rules, but now you can sell your property, or I'm sorry, buy your property, and they have like six months to sell your property. So it gives you a lot longer to go out there and sell your property. The two things you have to be aware of if you do that is how are you financing the new property? You know, in this case, a lot of people don't have $400,000 sitting around to go out there and buy their $1.5 million multifamily with. Now, if you do, great, that's an option. You may be able to do that from pulling out equity from your existing property. You may be able to do a HELOC on your primary and pull that out. Or maybe you have $4,000 sitting around that you can use and use that for a few months. But keep in mind, you have to make sure you still sell that property. Now, for some reason, the market takes a, a, a drive off the cliff, which I don't think it will, but there's always that possibility it can, and you have a hard time selling your property or prices depressed for some reason, that may change the numbers on there. So there is some risk on there as well. But the financing component is the biggest reason that a lot of people don't do reverse 1031s because you have to have a chunk of money, 200, dollars $4,000 around to do the reverse 1031. And a lot of people don't do it. Now, we've got some you know, various bankers and lenders that can do some creative options on pulling equity or collateralize some other assets, You know, give you a loan on that. If you want help with that, please reach out. We're happy to give you those referrals and help you kind of identify, hey, here's your situation. Talk to these three people first. They may be a great fit for you. But going back, should you were a regular or reverse? Again, going back to my answer, it really depends. Depends on your risk tolerance, depends on your timeline, and depends on what you can do in terms of having capital go out there and buy a new property. Majority of our clients are still doing regular 1031s, and we are executing and we're fulfilling those 1031s, and we're not, you know, falling out of contract, having issues on there. Um, so a lot of it comes down to prep work and we're big on prep work, as you know, Hey, let's get our ducks in a row. So we're ahead of the ball. We're not out there trying to find your replacement property 
after you sold your current property. No, 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 no. We're doing that weeks or months in advance. We're lining up the dominoes. And we've done that. And I'm knocking on wood here. We have had a 100% success rate. So it's very doable. Um, the best option just really depends on what you want to do. And it kind of comes down to your goals, your situation, and what lenders and the market looks like at the time. But we are routinely getting people that are selling their property to buy 1031. We're able to get them under contract before their other property closes. And that's great because your 45-day window, or I'm for, sorry, your 45-day timeline doesn't start until your property closes. So the faster we can get the other properties under contract and quickly do our due diligence, the more it knows, hey, is this a winner? Great, move forward with it. Or is a loser, terminate and go out there and find another property. So you have questions on here, or you're considering one, please reach out. Um, and I say this too, because I was actually just talking with someone, unfortunately, he was selling a duplex and he wanted to do a 1031 and we were not selling it. He's, hey, I got this property listed. I wanna take the money 1031 and buy some other properties. So I was going down through my questions with him. It, I came out, he said, oh, I bought this property, you know, 1.5 years ago and I've lived in the last 1.5 years. Well, that causes some issues because you have two options. And if it's a pure rental, you can join 1031 if you had it as a rental for one year or more. If it's owner occupied and you sell it, you're gonna pay capital gains if you haven't lived there for two at last five years. And he kind of got stuck in this, in like not a great window where, hey, if he's staying there for another six months, he could have sold it capital gains free. Um, or, you know, done, you know, moved out, waited a bit and then sold it and then a, a full 1031 exchange. So if you're thinking about making a move, please talk to us earlier. We know the basics, we can use some ideas and say, hey, talk to this person, talk to this person, talk to this person, and actually get together a great game plan. Because unfortunately, this client, he's leaving, a, you know, 20 or $25,000 on the table to Uncle Sam because he fell in that window where it wasn't excluded from, you know, the capital gains from your personal residence. We also couldn't 1031 exchange it. So if you are considering it, you have questions or ideas or whatever, please reach out. This is something that I love doing the scenarios on and what our team is designed for. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We do these drinks and deep dives every Wednesday at 12. Please join us um, live. If you can't, leave us questions. If there's topics or deep dives that you want to know, please reach out to us as well. We're always looking for ideas and guests to have the show. And with our marketing team on Monday, we got lots of ideas to make this show bigger and better. So if you like it, let us know and please reach out with questions. We'll see you next week.